Hey everybody, this is Culture and Convictions. How are ya? Yep, yep, yep. I am Iron Petrie, along with my wife, Star Petrie. We're so glad to have everyone on with us again for another episode of Culture and Convictions. Look, we've got a full show uh, for you today. We've got a lot of interesting stuff uh, popping off in the world. I uh, hope you're still quarantining with a good attitude, <laughs> somewhat. Uh, and, and if you are out and are able now to work, because we are starting to get back to work and get back to, to life a little bit, I uh, pray that you're doing that responsibly and safely. But I'm happy to hear that you're getting back to work, if that's you, because it's a good thing. It's good news indeed. And so we need it. So the first uh, topic that we're going to tackle on this show is uh, talking about the NFL. You know, there's for years there's been talk about the Rooney Rule um, and trying to um, ensure or manufacture some amount of uh, uh, fairness, because since that's kind of used the word normally with with uh, affirmative action, type of fairness in the process of hiring uh, minority coaches. Um, the NFL has has put forward a proposal um, that would allow teams uh, to get higher draft picks if they hire a, min- a minority coach. My gosh! And so it's kind of like I don't know where this came from, but um, what are we doing, and and why is that even necessary? I'm almost speechless by it because uh, I, I just to me I see problems. <laughs> you know, I do. I see problems in the fact that we're having to resort to things like this uh, to me underscores a real issue with the NFL. First of all, that that you wouldn't that you would in this time in 2020, you would actually be thinking about something like this. Well, let me, you'd be actually, you know, conceptualizing it. And let me tell you a little bit more about it. Under the proposal aimed at fixing diversity problems league wide, diversity problems league wide. A team could improve its third-round draft selection by up to 16 picks, going up 10 spots for hiring a minority candidate as general manager or an equivalent-level position, and six spots for hiring a minority head coach. So now, how do you, if if your interest, if your interest is in diversity, okay? So we're talking about diversity, of course, of staff. We're talking about coaches, general managers. We're talking about the administrative part of the NFL because we're certainly not talking about diversity on the field. <laughs> I would hope not. <laughs> <Certainly. So, laughs> so, uh, uh, so in that regard, though, you're saying you're willing to reward a team with uh, the incentive of higher draft picks and what more draft picks? Sound like you mm-hmm. get not not just higher, but just yeah. uh, in terms of quantity. Yeah, they get, well. to, they get to improve their third-round draft selection by up to 16 picks, mm-hmm. going up 10 spots for hiring, for hiring a minority candidate as general manager or an equivalent position, and then six spots for hiring a minority head coach. Okay. So, so their draft position increases. They yeah. could possibly go from, what, third round to maybe even the second round, if, depending on how you know, everything works out. Sure. So, in other words, you're just incentivizing uh, – these <clears throat> these teams, okay, if you're going to hire black people and minorities in these positions, you're going to get this as an incentive. This is an incentive for you to do so. And your interest is producing diversity. So you're going to, in essence, though, you're going to borrow black bodies like window dressing. For higher picks, yeah. For higher picks. I'm definitely going to do that. So in, in <laughs> what way <laughs> so in what way is that going to deal with the core problem 
of a lack of diversity in the NFL as it pertains to leadership and administration. You get whether it be coaching, general managers, et cetera, et cetera. The white, the white collar end of it, mm-hmm. right? So because you you create this incentive that at the end of the day, the bottom line in the NFL is winning and money, right? Yeah, well, I would say it used to be because obviously the NFL has changed somewhat with you know Colin Kaepernick with with all of that kneeling and everything during the the national mm-hmm. anthem, and now you know fast forward to today and we're talking about trying to create a system where we can manufacture results and outcomes because really what we're trying to do is make you do something yeah well i don't think anybody should be made to do anything this is my business now if if fans around the league uh if players around the league um start to use some type of influence to move me in a direction maybe that's a little different i.e fans can vote by saying i'm just not buying yeah. any tickets yeah i'm not watching I don't wanna go, i'm not coming to the game correct i'm not, I'm not buying, buying merchandise there you no. go yeah. and so I'll, I'll let you know how i feel about your your pick for coach that way or fans will just continue to get on blogs and say you know i really i hate that i hate this hire like they do all the time oh, but, but general managers time. are sitting back and they're going to make decisions that are in their best interest that's what we all do mm-hmm. and my thing is though if you're you so, so you so what you're telling me is you've got this political pressure Right. For them to do this kind of thing. So I look at it in a way as though it has the potentiality to create uh, artificial minority failures. That, that, that is absolutely correct. Right. That's you know, so because it's no different than in any other industry. It's no diff- different than any other field, whether you're borrowing black bodies in a school in terms of admission to look like you're diverse. Mm-hmm. So you bought, borrow the black bodies like window dressing, whether they're properly matched with that school or not. You could be, let's say, for example, you're in the Ivy League and the standards are very high academically. Right. And so you've got the best of the best of the best of the best from around the world going to those Ivy League schools. Mm-hmm. And you may take these black kids who may be very smart, very bright. But in that environment, the elite is so elite. And this has been proven. The reason I'm bringing this up is this has been talked about and been written about from Thomas Sowell to to you name it. Mm-hmm. Economists and people in education, they write about this all the time, this this creating of this artificial failure of a lot of minorities who start out in these very challenging schools and they don't even finish. The majority of them won't finish. They, sure. they, but they're, but they're brought in like window dressing for the university to say we are diverse. Mm-hmm. Right. But you don't, you don't care. You only care about the appearance. You're not caring about the success of those minorities right. because you're creating artificial failures. When that kid could go to some other school more fitted to where he was, his speed of learning, his talent, his skill level, and that kid would go on to to uber success. Right. But no, you want to mix mismatch him with a school that he doesn't belong to for your own good, for your own political interest. And this this is the same thing. And it takes away from those who who do achieve that level of success by their own merits. Exactly. So now when I sit across from someone and they desi- decide to m- to make it higher, how do you know as an African American coach or a Polynesian coach or anybody else Boom. that you're not being hired <laughs> you simply go. to fill a quota versus being hired because boy, we looked at your resume, you came in here and you really sold your passion for the program or, or your passion for the team and and the focus that you wanted to bring. 
what you know what actually made us want to hire you and who wants to live under this kind of unknown did do That's they really it, like me babe. that is it do they really want me <laughs> that is it or am i just that, here that is the sinister hidden sinister component of this type of stuff yeah that i i that preferably people will wake up to see is it puts a continual question mark sure over black people and black achievement. And don't think that that doesn't undermine your leadership in the locker room. Oh, absolutely. Because you don't think that the minute y'all start losing, folks yeah. looking at you like, you ain't even here for no other reason other than trying to get <laughs> yeah. this, you know what <laughs> I mean? These 16 more picks. I'm trying to tell you. It's kind of yeah. like, you know, you, you just completely... Uh, and you sit there and you undermine black people and you use them in a totally different way. It is it is victim it is victimizing them in a very clever very is it's, uh, you know and it, and it's and that's why I say listen the words of Frederick Douglass ring true about all of this nonsense when he said leave black people alone yes sir emerging from slavery he said it in 1865 and he said it in Boston Massachusetts and you need to type it in Google it it is some of the most profound words ever uttered by a human being in my humble opinion about how to deal with what was going on at that time and he talked about how they ask of us abolitionists early and often what shall be done with the negro hmm. and he said to them do, do nothing, nothing with us leave us alone mm -hmm. it is your doing with us that has already played the mischief with us and that's and this is the same mischief that is being used here and that's why i say you know in the nfl we've had mike tumlin successful black head coach mm -hmm. Multiple Super Bowls. Anyone like at least two that yeah, I can remember? Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy. Lovey Smith yes. coaching a Super Bowl. Didn't yes. get to win it. <clears throat> of course, though, because he was coaching against <laughs> Tony Dungy Tony at Dungy? the time. That's right. So you had both of them highly successful. You've had other black coaches who were not so successful. But if the NFL wants to really deal with diversity and deal with their issues, don't tell me. It, you've had, I've seen white coaches and we've talked about this, who may have, you know, they may be coaching and go 500 at a particular team with a particular team. And they get moved around almost like the dance of the lemmings in education, lemons in education, where they dance all these bad teachers around from one district and school to the next. And they keep getting these chances. Where are the repetitive chances of these African-American coaches who may not have done so well? Mm -hmm. They might have done so well. But I would think it takes time to be a good coach. Yeah. It takes a lot of time. And everybody, and in the NFL, everything's so microwave. They're looking for that, that young little, boom, I put you in the water, sure. I stir you up, I mix you like instant oatmeal, and boom, yeah. we're in the Super Bowl, yeah. you know, in two years. And if not, then, eh, mm -hmm. But at the same time, that whole environment, coupled with the politicize, politicization of the league, um, they're doing this out of politics and out of uh, just the way things look. Yeah, and I would be curious what a Mike Tomlin or a Tony Dungy or a Lovey Smith, what those gentlemen would actually think about and do think about something that's proposed that, that kind of, to me, comes across as, as just, I don't know, we're just doing stuff. Yeah. We feel the need to do something. And I, and I think that's where people get into the most trouble, when they just want to do something. Yeah. Some sometimes there's nothing to be done. Yeah. There really isn't. I mean, I'm not offended. Truly I'm not when I sit back and watch an NFL team play and I look at the sideline and I'm like, I'm not sitting there thinking, man, it that head be a coach, black coach over there. Or or should be an Asian yeah. American or should be a Spanish. I, 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 yeah. yeah. I, I'm just really I don't get into all of that. Yeah. And I really would I would hope that eventually 
we can have an honest conversation about how much I think the left, and I'm just going to put it out there, that the left has tried to commandeer sports. Mm-hmm. Leave sports alone. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Let people go out there and play on the merit, be promoted on the merits. And I don't know, obviously, I don't know the things that happen behind the scenes. I'm sure there's many a candidate who went before a boss uh, and felt like they gave the best speech of their life mm-hmm. and had the best credentials walking in the door, and yet they were passed over. Yeah. But I don't think that those experiences should be mitigated simply because we want to put on a good face and we want to show people that we like black people. Obviously y'all are okay with black people because you hire them every day. So that's not really the concern as much as it is that, as as I said, I want to be judged by the content of my character, Mm -hmm. by, by my resume, by the empirical evidence that I present as to what I've, what I've successfully accomplished in my life. Absolutely. That therefore, when I get to that stage, I know I don't owe anybody anything. Nothing. Nobody gave me anything. I got here by blood, sweat and tears. Right. Versus me being just given a a handout that said, okay, homie, I'm going to need you to come along with us for a couple of years. We're going to build the bench, get this team together. And you know, after a while we'll say, Au revoir to you and, and let you go ahead and slide out the back and yeah. I'll go get the coach I want. You know what I mean? But like, but like I said, you know, to me, it's all about the question mark you put over the top of black achievement of black positions, mm. you know, and, and black people in positions of, of, of influence or power. Uh, and, and I'm not for that, you know, because there are far too many very capable, bright black people out there sure. who can fill these positions sure. and, and blast it out of the stratosphere and there's probably and there's enough black wealth out there i mean if we're going to talk about things in black and white mm-hmm. but there's probably enough black wealth out there that if they wanted to get together they probably could buy to, to go and, and buy a team and buy a club and maybe she that's could. maybe that's what needs to happen maybe the issue is one of ownership and not one of um, mm. permissive acceptance you're waiting to come deep, into the babe, yeah, you're waiting to deep. come into the club <laughs> i'm just saying maybe no, maybe the that's truth. the better question and the better conversation to have yeah. because i've oftentimes it, it seems to me that we are as a as a as a whole as people are, are a little more skittish about joining together to go and accomplish something great you know mm. it seems like for us as black people we like to do it on our own we want to be the owner operator visionary <laughs> and yeah. without understanding that, you know, a lot of times people don't find the kind of success that you're seeking without partnership and without no. the ability to come yeah, alongside someone does. and say, hey, you, you're my yin to my yang and vice versa. Nobody We're going to make this work. Nobody does. And you're absolutely right. And uh, we don't get anywhere by lowering any bars. And that's the that's the thing. Like I say, I am not for that because it's psychological. When you mm-hmm. sit there and you create a question mark over a person's position or achievement, yeah, it is a psychological. Uh, it's a blow taken to that person it's psychologically. Got to be. And it's it's cunning. It's 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 sinister, and uh, it, it's it's a very subtle thing that that hurts uh, the person in the long run. And so I'm not for subjecting black people, brown people, yellow people, any other people to such things. And if and I and preferably we will have the intestinal fortitude to stand up and say it and, and not just be so willing to be satisfied by, uh, you know, these superficial shows, yeah. you know, and that's, that, and, and I think, sorry to cut you off, no. but I think that that's partly why, you know, people are getting so just, Oh, I'm just so over it already. Yeah. You know, because between, you know, coronavirus and just a number of, of things that we've dealt with socially 
Um, There's only so much po- money we got to spend. Huh? <laughs> people just don't have the emotional capital we to get concerned about stuff. You know, capital, I think at this point people are like just bring back football, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't care if they're pink and polka dot out there. I just want, <laughs> I just want to see somebody run up and down a field. I'm being honest. Sure. Um, and I and I think that that we really are getting to that point. And you know, just to kind of have a a segue because we continue to talk about you know COVID nineteen because we continue um, to have it impede and impact our lives on a regular basis mm-hmm. um but you know we talked about sheltering in place and a lot of states are now lifting some of some of the measures that they had enforced um allowing people to get back to work which are wonderful wonderful things you know but here's my concern and, and we talked about this a long time ago we said you know when this first started if you're living in new york right now i mean you probably are thinking i should Moving out to the country sounds pretty doggone good right about now. Don't sound bad. You know what I mean? Like, I, too, might move to Wyoming. <laughs> I, too, might take up in South Dakota. That Those places don't sound no. so bad no. now that I'm sitting here under under thumb of Andrew Cuomo. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think Americans just in general, and you talked about this a couple of days ago, are starting to understand just how much of our lives we've given to government mm. and not just to government, but to poor, abysmal, just incongruent and unstable leadership yeah. that gives you absolutely no real hope that they can make a decision, a, mm. a good decision. You know yeah. what I mean? We're talking about people who just, for the lifetime of their time in politics, have been just terrible. Yeah. And now they're in positions where the spotlight is on them and things are really coming to the fore. And we're starting to see, hmm. Now, mm-hmm. these people these people said that all these measures were being taken because the evidence, the evidence, yeah. the evidence, right? It was flattening the curve. Flattening the Gotta curve. Got to flatten that curve. Got to crush the curve. And, a, <laughs> and initially, we were all like, okay, well, if there's a curve to be flattened, well, I suppose well, I'll... Yeah, I'll uh, stay at home. I'll get my butt to the house. Let's flatten it. Right? Yeah. yeah. And then... The days and the weeks went on and people started looking <laughs> to the left of them and looking to the right of them and thinking, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to go to work. Exactly. I'm going to have to do it. It's yeah. just, yeah, I can't do this yeah, anymore. Yeah, like my mortgage is coming up I can't, in five, yeah. four. <laughs> Thank you. I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. And so now, you know, the 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 plot thickens, shall we say. And now it's not about just flattening, flattening the curve. curve. No, no, no. What are we going to do? Now we've got to have a cure. For the cure. We've got to have a vaccine. Right? We've got to have a cure. It's it's amazing. So now you have people talking, hey, we're not going to live like this, can't do it, right? Elon Musk says, yeah. Tesla ain't oh, going to, yeah. we're not going to, not going to do it. Can't do it. Yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm, we're going to pick up and we'll move to somewhere. Nevada, yeah. Texas, we don't yeah. care. Arizona, we're going to just... Yeah. We'll decide, right? Yeah, exactly. Even to the point where you have a, a very liberal podcaster, com- comedian, Joe Rogan, coming <laughs> out and saying he wants to move to Texas. <laughs> now, how we feel about that one? Ooh. You know, I, but I told you this, right? You know, and like I said, I told you this when all of this happened. Uh, and this is just private conversation between me and you as husband and wife. But I, I knew it. 
and it's and it's going to be more serious, especially for those who have the capacity to do so. But I just knew there was going to be a lot of musical chairs in this country. Oh yeah, that people were going to start moving around, yes, and I and I don't believe from a Joe Rogan to an Elon Musk and all the rest of them, these people, of course, are much more capable than the average American to just pick up and move from one place to the other. But at the same time, I think a lot of people feel the same way. Uh, People are understanding, hopefully, to some degree, that, you know, you can't just live in this vacuum (laughs) of leadership. Yes, I mean, and, and people, the, the heavy taxation, expensive as both New York and California are already. Yes. And then you couple with the fact that the leadership has been more oppressive than the virus itself. Mm-hmm. Or you got someone like Governor Whitner, Whitmer in Michigan yeah. who says you can't even buy seeds. I don't want to yeah. see you at Home Depot buying buying seeds to plant. Like, what uh, are we talking about? A restriction on cutting your yard yeah. and stuff like just that. I mean, ludicrous just, stuff. Just ludicrous. infiltrating people's lives, and uh, and it's it's been the thing that has emerged that I think it's it's a good thing. It's bad that it's happening, but it's a good thing to see this type of leadership in the spotlight mm. because a lot of people see things can go undetected, unnoticed. People don't know anything about it. They don't even think about it. They're living under the thumb and they never think about it at all. But this crisis comes along and it begins to highlight this kind of stuff. Yeah. It begins to highlight where there's a vacuum in leadership and where people are, are draconian or the territorial and tyrannical. And it's good for all of America to see, even if they don't live under it, mm-hmm. because now you get to see the comparisons. You know, the people in California get to look and see what's going on in Texas, right. see what's going on in, in, in Nevada or Georgia or wherever else. And people say, well, they're opening up early over there. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, oh. and then they open up and they find out that, OK, been no new cases. <laughs> Everybody's moving around, you know, what I'm saying? but it's good for people to see the contrast. It's yes. good for them to see the difference, because sometimes you can be living it with a very myopic understanding of what's sure. really going on. Sure. So you think your state, well, people talk about us, but we're not that bad. Yeah. As compared you're, to what? You're conditioned to, yeah. to be that way. Yeah, you're, the you're the fish in the water. Yeah. But then once you begin to see these differences, which is what this coronavirus is doing, it's showing you the leadership of all the states. But not just that. And places. It's, it's, it's when you begin to see it and when it begins to impact your wallet. Mm-hmm. Right, because it's one thing to it see it, real. but it you know, ain't impacted my wallet. It it's a wholly real. different thing when I'm sitting in the house and, like you said, I'm like that mortgage is coming due. I got a one or two car payments, no doubt. Uh, I've got things I got to take care of. I still got to pay for my electric and everything and people, else. Some people have started their businesses; they got to pay for their absolutely when they payroll, know, their brick and mortar do, stores, absolutely my rent, everything. Oh yeah, it's so serious. This was Joe Rogan, and I'm just gonna I'm gonna have to read this because you know our friend our friend Joe. Doesn't, doesn't <laughs> He's know, a little loose with the tongue. Doesn't yeah. know, know how <laughs> not to curse. Um, but following news that Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti uh, told Good, Mor- Good Morning America on Wednesday that we'll never be completely open until we have a cure. Rewind that back. We'll never be completely open until we have a cure. Mm. And that the stay-at-home order for Los Angeles County might be extended into July or possibly August. Rogan spoke about possibly leaving the state of California. If California continues to be this restrictive, I don't know if this is a good place to live, Rogan said on Wednesday's edition of the Joe Rogan Experience podcast. Uh, First of all, it's extremely expensive. The taxes here are ridiculous. And if they really say that we can't do stand-up, talking about comedy, until 2022 or something like that, I might jet. 
Rogan then justified his thought process by admitting that California isn't all it's cracked up to be. Go figure, Joe. He's been living there for how long? I'm not kidding. This is silly. <laughs> I don't need to be here, Rogan continued. The only reason not why I'm here is that I'm close to people like you, pointing to one of his friends. Yeah. A lot of my friends live here. The comedy store is here. But if they don't let us do the store, but we, uh, but we could do stand-up other places, why would I stay here? Yeah. So this is what I, you know, this is just a little PSA for all of those lefties who all of a sudden want to move to conservative bastions of freedom. Lord help us. That's fine. You, you're more than welcome, right? But you need to leave your politics in California. Exactly. Right? Don't 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 come into my state. <laughs> Notice how I took possession of this thing. Yeah, you did. You you owned it right don't, there. <laughs> don't come into my state and then certainly yeah. you know suddenly want to lead the band to make Texas purple. Yeah. And then eventually blue. No, come mm. in here. Respect the fact that obviously. We figured out how to vote in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> I mean, we're not terrible. We're not perfect, but certainly we're not terrible, which is why you, you feel like it's a good place to be. But come in and then respect that. Please. That's please all. Do. That's and, and please recognize that California was not destined to be the way it is. C- correct. Like, it, it, it's not living under a destiny. Like, oh, it's just that 70-degree uh, weather. Yeah, that just... this was going to happen, you know, irregardless. Like, because sometimes, you know, people speak of, like, even in his language, it's like, you're speaking of California as though it was, this is just the givenness of things. It no? just woke up one day and said no. it would be terrible. Exactly. No, <laughs> California is that way because of the politics that governs California correct. and the way in which you guys choose to continue to allow it to be governed Mm -hmm. by your voting and by your leaning so heavily heavily. to the left. But these things, like I said, this is why it's good that the contrasts are being seen because people don't, they don't often get a chance to see it. They get a chance to argue. (laughs) Right. Right. You know, they get a chance to argue back and forth across the political spectrum from left to right and oh, yeah, da, da, da. But then when you begin to see the worldview of the left and the right, in crisis, in real time, <laughs> and in real time, yes. and in real life, and it starts to affect people's bottom line. Then all of a sudden, there's no more arguing. Yeah, you know, and so just like you said, you know, if you're gonna come to Texas, leave your politics there because that's what made California the way please, it is. Please, and and it doesn't matter. It ain't the earth. <laughs> it's not the soil. It's, it's own. Not. It's the politics. It's I'd, the worldview that predominates out there. And I'd gladly move to California. Once all that leadership gets, a beautiful gets, place. gets worked out. I mean, I'll swap with you. <laughs> I surely would. But I'm not going to go there under the burden of the kind of taxation that they've endured for, for years and continue to do so because, what, they want to award illegal aliens? Um, I mean, the, the goofy laws asinine. they have out there from these open, say, open space laws in which people can't even respond to supply and demand and housing. So the housing prices, of course, out there, you got a 1,200 square foot bungalow that's half a million oh, dollars, you, you know, if, if not close to a million, three quarters of a million. I mean, just it's just crazy. And you come to Texas and get like a 8,000 square oh, foot. Oh, gosh, for the <laughs> same price. You can live price. like a like a king. <laughs> and it's like, you know, people... It doesn't just get that way. And that's, no. that's that's what I don't like sometimes in the language people talk about these things. I'm going to move and yada, yada, yada. That's so true. But yeah, let's be responsible. 
let's be responsible about why California is the way it is and why any of these liberal strongholds are the way they are. Mm-hmm. It is in the governance, man. And you got to take responsibility but you for know, that. That's, we've talked about this before, that it's always kind of the fact was it was just the person, right? It was the wrong guy or gal. Mm-hmm. Um, liberal policies work. We just got to find the right person. Yeah. It's like, guys, how many times do we have to play that game? Okay. It doesn't matter, doesn't matter. who it is. They fail because they yeah. fail. The they ideal, are a failure. The ideas are a failure. Yeah, it doesn't work. It just <laughs> the doesn't work. Politics is a failure, and that's you know that's part of of why we have the problems we we have because people don't want to be intellectually honest. You mm. know, they they would rather sit there and dig their heels in, so true, and stay there and just say no, no, no. It would you know and give a thousand reasons why a policy didn't work yeah. instead of just saying nah. I mean, I, I'm not going to do that again. It's like going to the stove. If you go to the stove, you pick up a pot handle and it's hot. Yeah. I mean, you don't need but like one time to almost burn your hand <laughs> before you start figuring out, I'm either going to approach this a different way with yeah. a pot holder or something, or I'm just going to have to go get somebody else to get this off the stove for me because I obviously I hadn't figured it out. Yeah, that's common sense. I mean, it's just common sense. That's common so sense. So it's kind of like, come but on. But that's guys. not too common nowadays. So, you know, the big push now is like we said, it's we're, we're going to find a cure, right? We're probably going to have all kind of fun runs mm. for the cure. Um, so that they can get a, a vaccine out. And, you know, we've discussed this, uh, my concern about vaccines, having had two children now, the vaccine schedule is just ridiculous mm. and horrendously aggressive, unnecessarily mm. so, in my opinion. Um, and then just not, I just don't feel like vaccines, I mean, just what is the necessity for us getting to a vaccine when we know that these strains of flu virus have been around for I mean, how long? Yeah. How long? Well, I mean, my thing is this, look, and and nowadays everybody's so politicized until you cannot possibly imagine how many ways people are going to take anything you say <laughs> nowadays. So it's like you just you just have to spit out what you want to say and leave it at that. But I'm not an anti-vaccine person. You know what I'm saying? I'm not a... <clears throat> I'm not a person that sits back and says, you know, well, you know, I you never shoot me with nothing and, and, and just have total disbelief in, in the ability of vaccines to be of some good. However, when you're talking about vaccinating the masses, right, when you're talking about vaccinating large amounts of people, which is, of course, that's what we do with our, our children, a lot of us and 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 uh, vaccinating our babies and what have you. Uh, there there has to be some accountability to the reality that not all people are the same that there is a certain bioindividuality to every one of us um you know people talk about for example the 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 debate that is waged on about vaccines and autism in children vaccine and vaccines and uh, from the polio vaccine to the the MMR and all of these different vaccines that that are out there for our our kids. And, you know, these side effects are not something that happens all the time, but at the same time they are happening. Mm -hmm. And parents who are bringing their bubbling children to the pediatrician and the babies are just fine. And then they're bringing them home. And within 24 hours, these babies are, have lost motor skills and, and, and are drooling at the mouth when they weren't and kind of zombies and not being able to walk or, 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 or 
do the things that they were doing that they knew they clearly were doing, mm. um, it raises the question. And, and the thing that, that, that I don't like is that there is not a willingness on the side of those who push these vaccines to discuss these things, right? right? You know, and, and then you want to label anybody who actually begins to bring up the question as some type of anti-vaxxer. And the reason I say you do is because even if the person conscientiously objects and says, well, I don't want to do it because of that reason, then you want to have all of these different things to kind of start, you know, almost making them do it anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, and so it's kind of like, listen, uh, this is America. And as long as it is America, people have the freedom to make their choices as to what they want to do and, and, and not do. And when it comes to vaccines, if a person has a compromised immune system, you could have a person who is who doesn't have a a a very effectively functioning liver. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's compromised for some reason, which detoxifies everything that everything has to go through the liver that comes into our mouth and into our bodies and into our bloodstream. It's going to go through the liver at some point. Mm-hmm. These things, if these things uh, exist in a person. Because they're just they're they're individuals. They have different issues, different problems, pre-existing issues that they may not even know they all they all of a sudden have. Mm. And then you stick this syringe in their this needle in their arm, and you you know you send them on your way like you've done a good deed for the greater good. Mm. <laughs> and then they look up and they're getting swelling in their arms and they're losing feeling in places and they're going they're going numb and they're they're having all of these neurological responses. And you can't just skip over that, even though you in the medical industry have been legislated into a monopoly to where you can't, you know, mm-hmm. uh, w- without somebody coming along with with all kinds of power of evidence and research and whatnot, you can't really hold you accountable in a court of law. Right. Mm-hmm. And so all of these crimes are getting committed in the medical industry because of that. And we kind of sit back and we. We submit ourselves to Big Pharma. And in this particular environment we're in now with COVID-19 and all that, people are, their fear is so high, they're willing to just say, okay, well, yeah, I'll do it. Right. Now, there are some of us out here who say, no, we're still not going to do it. But but there are many out there that are, they're willing now because they've been so scared into thinking this this is the answer. This has to happen. Right. But man, when you're talking about vaccinating large amounts of people, I just think that is a dangerous proposition and it's going to have casualties without a doubt without a doubt because the research is even in about it and so i just think it's something that that has to be looked at a little more responsibly and people need to ask lots of questions and we know we don't need to just jump the gun and think that a vaccine is is the end all be all for us well you know my my biggest issue with the vaccine has been that Anytime everybody gets on the same bandwagon at the same time, I mean, you go from CNN to MSNBC to one, you know, mm-hmm. and everybody's saying the same things. I'm not really feeling that. No. Because I, I, I'd like to hear a couple of at least three or four dissenters who say, hold on, have you thought about this, that, or the other? Never any questions. And, you know, one of my big concerns <laughs> is I, I felt like this has become a boon for the medical industry to a great degree. Because, oh, sure you know, I mean, if we can field a vaccine for the world, not for America, for mm-hmm. the world no doubt. and make this the hottest, newest, fastest thing that everybody needs to get their hands on, because we're, we're trying to mitigate a, a, you know, a recurrence 
in October or September or whenever they get this fielded, even in, if it's December or January, mm-hmm. um, then you're looking at cha-ching, ching, 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 oh, yeah. ching. I mean, that's I'm pretty sure that's pretty much all they're thinking about. Oh yeah, obviously, because because no we don't have enough time to test this on every single human person and figure out what works for them personally i mean people have problems with the seasonal flu shot correct this is something that is offered every single year that's correct people (laughs) people having side effects out the wazoo with that are people just getting sick as a dog it's like so you took the the flu shot to not get sick and then you got sick from the flu shot yeah i mean and i've talked to people personally who told me look i never had the flu in a couple of years until i got in this year i decided i was gonna get a shot and they got the flu shot and what do you know when i got that flu shot i got the flu i'd had the flu in so long you know and it's like you know it's just imperfect and no matter how many times they repetitiously and incessantly, <laughs> nauseatingly repeat the word expert, no matter how many times they say it, <laughs> no matter how many times, it does not mean that this is a perfect science the and they've got it all figured the out. The infallible title of expert. Jeez. Like it, the it's expert. not even doctor or or uh, nurse or anything like that. It's just. Now, doctor so-and-so, you're an expert. expert. You're an expert. That's it. And the experts. And do have they spoken to the experts? You know, they need to talk to the experts. And it's like we hear it enough to where people begin to think that in some way, shape, or form, expert means flawless. Like that, that, infallible. That actually exists. Like, it's like, <laughs> like, yeah, like, like they got they it. They got it no, like 100% of the time. No, they don't got it. I promise you they don't. I promise you they don't. And we need to question with boldness about anything that you're going to try to do for the masses. And especially because one of the greatest proponents for it is a man who was in computers. (laughs) I'm sorry. And I have no hate or ill will or issue with the very rich Bill Gates. God bless him. God bless he and Melinda. Got nothing but love for him. Sure. But genius is not transferable. Just because you have DOS to your name and just because you are one of the richest human beings on the face of the earth does not mean you know a thing in the world about what you're doing mm-hmm. in a total different discipline. And, 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 and it's, it's, it's amazing to me, but it reminds me of a scripture in Ecclesiastes 9 and 15 where in the, in that in that book and in that chapter and verse is talking about how a king comes upon a small city to besiege it. And there's a poor man in that city with wisdom to save the city, but he is not remembered hmm. because it talks about the wisdom of the poor is despised. Hmm. Right. And it speaks to the fact that we have this enamoration with riches mm-hmm. that when we see money, we think genius. Yeah. When we see money, we think we should listen all the time about any and everything. It qualifies you just like that. Right, yeah. right. And and in talking about the poor man with wisdom, it is it is speaking to the fact that when that man who has wisdom does not have the riches, he's not considered wise, Yeah. even though he would have the key to save the city. And we're sitting up here listening to people 
off of the sheer fact that they're billionaires. Mm-hmm. It is, they have not manifested one ounce of expertise. Once mm-hmm. again, there's that word again. <laughs> they have not manifested any other reason why we should be listening mm-hmm. other than the fact that they are uber rich. But isn't that funny? Because that same, that, that same approach doesn't apply to Donald J. Trump. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? He made it's a mistake. Like, he, like, was, oh, okay. he he made a mistake. He if came a conservative. If you're a billionaire that just happens to be out there living your life doing what you want to do, yeah. then you're good. And I mean, every time you open your mouth, it's like everybody yeah. should stop, listen, and do exactly what you told exactly. them to do. But if you're Donald J. Trump and you've made billions, it's like, I don't know about that. I don't trust him. Yeah. You know we what don't, I mean? It's, it's the hair. It's, 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 he's he's you know, sleazy. Yeah. He's I just orange. Don't trust him. His yeah, exactly. But I, I want to play this this clip just to show you the, the kind of, uh, you know, rote memorization that they've engaged in to, to make sure that everybody understands how important it is for you to have a vaccine. Things won't go back to truly normal until we have a vaccine that we've gotten out to basically the entire world. It's how long? It is fair to say things won't go back to truly normal until we have a vaccine that we've gotten out to basically the entire world. On a block herd immunity, is it possible that we want a vaccine? Is that what this is all about? I mean, this is a conversation that I'm seeing happen. Just take a look at what they're telling us we're supposed to be waiting for. Listen to this very quickly. When will a corona vaccine be ready? A vaccine that enables us to resume our lives without restrictions while protecting us from the disease. The only thing that will really allow life as we once knew it to resume is a vaccine. We should be and are and will be making a universal corona vaccine. To me, that's the best long-term goal for this. This is a whole new era for making vaccines and one that's expired emphasizing speed. What we need is uh, to make vaccines uh, for a billion people, and we need to make that as quickly as possible. Vaccines won't be ready overnight. They will take months. Probably 14, 15, 16 months, at least 12 to 18 months away. Until we have a vaccine. Until we get a vaccine. New hope for a vaccine. That's how long strict rules will be in place across the state. It it is fair to say things won't go back to truly normal until we have a vaccine. So, you know, it's an interesting thing because, you know, you have to kind of you, we always have to think of things or, or, or look at things in context. So back in back in 2010, um, Bill and Melinda Gates had, you know, and their foundation um, put a, an all out blitz on vaccination. Right. And they put sure. forward a global mm-hmm. vaccine action plan. And they they deemed that time and this started around January 2010. They said the next 10 years is going to be the decade of vaccines. And mm. then I say, OK, I mean, what's it, what? 2010 <laughs> wait a minute hold on let me get let me get a piece of paper for this uh, oh and it's 2020 it's the 10th that's, year th- that's amazing yeah right and then you come to find out that dr fauci was on the leadership council mm-hmm. and has and has been uh you know someone who's worked with the bill and melinda gates foundation on several different initiatives mm-hmm. so i'm always trying to look at the web of players and kind of what do they get out of it Right. Because remember, we played this clip a couple of shows ago, I think Dr. Fauci came out and said, oh, you know, America has nothing to worry about. That was February of this year. And then suddenly now it's, well, we have to have a vaccine. And I think he's gone so far now as to disagree with with uh, President Trump in reference to kids going back to school. Mm -hmm. Um, So the question is, 
if we're waiting on a vaccine and now everything is about speed, speed, government and speed. <laughs> it's like, I, mean, I don't even know if those two things can even go together. That's funny. But I, I'm sure, I'm sure under, under Donald Trump that, that, that certainly he, he probably has a plan. And I think he does kind of doing a, a, a public private partnership. Government and um, speed. Yeah. But, I, but I'm, I'm leery about anything that you're trying to speed to in reference to my health and my body. Now I want you to take your time because I want you to get it right. You know what I mean? Well, I, I, want I really you, do. And, and I want you to stick it in your arm first. Absolutely. Yeah, let's let's Absolutely. lift up your, your, your pants leg and stick it in your thigh, your shoulder, your arm, yeah, wherever, yeah. wherever this is going to be injected. I mean, we don't need a billion of them first. We just probably need about 10 or 15. Yeah, it's just, <laughs> just enough to, to, to circulate around the whole council that there. So true. Yeah, and I want, so I want Bill Gates to do it on television in front of a camera. I want it live. Mm-hmm. So there can't be no editing. I want everybody to shoot yourself first. Yeah. And then not only that, I'm going to watch you now for 72 hours to two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check you can out. Can we just do this live? Let's yeah. just set up a camera yeah, in like, your we home. Can, we can do this. We can do this. Right. And, if, and if you go first, right, if you be that leader that doesn't say, okay, everybody, take Yonder Mountain. No, I want you to be that leader that goes up on that mountain and says, y'all come up here. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That's what I want you to be. You first. You first. Yeah. You first. Now, if, if you do that for me. Then you can you can quell some of my suspicions. We call it Operation You First. Yeah, I like Operation, it. I love it. Operation You First. That's perfect. Yeah. Operation You First. I think we need that for all leadership. All leadership. You know, we need to all ask the time. Like, I think no, you may you have first. solved the world's problems. Yeah, yeah. I think you should. Leadership go. problems no, you, all over the world no, have just go. been solved. No, really, no. Operation I want, I want You, you First. <laughs> exactly. And anybody who will not, anybody who will not succumb to Operation You First. Then uh, next, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Then it's operation. You're gone. And isn't that what we've <laughs> isn't that what we've seen though? All of these uh, all these mayors and government officials who were telling everybody to stay at home and shelter in place, who got oh on got gosh. on TV with their hair done, and oh nails done, goodness. and you're sitting there like, what? How, how was that? Unless they have a family friend that's a barber or something. But wasn't it the wasn't it the mayor of Chicago? Wasn't it? Yeah, Isn't L- she L- Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, yeah, she tells she tells the people, you know, she's a public figure. I'm a public figure. So she got to get her hair done. It's like, you you're know. a public figure because <laughs> we put you there. I'm sorry. All right. Come again? Oh, she is embracing the light. I'm telling babe. you. She's embracing again, the light. Again, Operation You First. We're going to start. Operation You and, First. And, you know, we should all get together. We should come up with, uh, with patrols. We should do them just like they yeah. do us. I mean, they want to... Uh, create a police state. I think the citizens should turn around and create their own neighborhood watch yeah. and be like, you know, what we're gonna do. We can go to the governor's mansion and we're just gonna sit out there and yeah. we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna just yeah. hey, you get first shift, I'll, I'll do second, third, fourth, and we'll, exactly. we'll take care of it, right? Yeah. We'll just watch it. I like it. I, I think like I, li- I I yeah, think that'll that work. We're doing that. I don't know if that's gonna go over well, but no. th- I, I like it. No, we're doing that. <laughs> so what? I, I, before we get off and and. Um, you know, conclude this podcast. I do want to come up with, I, I, I do want to look at one thing, you know, and this was striking to me when I, when I thought about it. You remember when, when President Trump came out and, and he was a big proponent of hydrochloroquine. Yeah. And he was like, you know, this is promising. And, you know, and immediately, I mean, like, like flies to a pile of dung. Yeah. Immediately they jumped on it and were like, oh my gosh, he doesn't know anything. I mean, to even go out there and to give such bad information, yada yeah. yada yada. Then they gave us the case He's not of, the, an expert. of who's the person who went and <laughs> they 
ate some fish pills or something like that. Oh gosh. <laughs> and they and they died from their fish own tank sheer, cleaner or something. Thank you. Oh my their God. own stupidity. I mean, because we can't save people from themselves. <laughs> I mean, honestly, no. if people want to do something stupid, that's it. You know, handle yeah. it. Yeah. So, so anyway, you know, he came out. He 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 said several things about it. And he felt like it was very promising. And then, you know, it didn't take but a couple of Fauci sound bites to really create a lot of distrust. Then, oh, then yeah. the fish tank cleaner incident. And the next thing you know, people are off on, you know, hydrochloroquine. You know, it's, yeah. it's an anthema, you know. But then you turn around, you think about it. Now a vaccine is mm-hmm. exactly what we need. Yesterday, there has been some promise with hydroxychloroquine, this potential therapy for people who are infected with coronavirus. Is there any evidence to suggest that, as with malaria, it might be used as a prophylaxis against COVID-19? No, the answer is is no. And and the, the evidence that you're talking about, John, is anecdotal evidence. So as the commissioner of FDA and the president mentioned yesterday, we're trying to strike a, a balance between making something with a potential of an, a, of an effect uh, to the American people available at the same time that we do it under the auspices of a protocol that would give us information to determine if it's truly safe and truly effective. But the information that you're referring to specifically is anecdotal. It was not done in a controlled clinical trial, so you really can't make any definitive statement about it. I think uh, I'm, without uh, seeing too much, I'm probably more of a fan of that than uh, maybe than anybody. But I'm a big fan, and we'll see what happens. And uh, we all understand what the doctor said is 100% correct. It's early. But uh, we've, uh, you know, I've seen things that are uh, impressive. And we'll see. We're going to know soon. We're going to know soon, In- including safety. But, you know, when you get that safety, this has been prescribed for many years for people to combat malaria, which was a big problem. And it's very effective. It's a strong, it's a strong drug. So I want to bring up a couple of things, okay? So Fauci gets up, and they ask Fauci, hey, you know, what about hydrochloric one? Could it, could it be uh, uh, an opportunity here? Fauci says, unequivocally, no. <laughs> unequivocally, no. And we have no anecdotal evidence to no, support that. No, he said that. it's anecdotal. Or, or, or yeah. the evidence is anecdotal yeah. because we don't have clinical trials. Um, but yet, you know, Fauci is someone who has extensive experience supposedly in dealing with malaria work with the bill and melinda gates foundation in reference to malaria so Mm -hmm. i can't imagine that hydrochloroquine is some newfangled um drug that he just recently came into contact with Mm -hmm. and has no idea whether or not it'll work so i just want to i want everybody to notice that fauci gets up he says that and it's like case closed president trump comes up and says well you know i'm probably the biggest fan out of everybody (laughs) of that being a solution why because it's cost effective right it's already available it's not something we have to go and try to manufacture and create in a lab and figure out hope it works Mm -hmm. right um we can go ahead and deploy it today but then fauci has already spoken and said absolutely not Mm -hmm. so so here's here's the issue that i think president trump has is having to deal with and i think it's it's one that's that's clearly just political and and certainly not anything uh, in reference to actual solutions. Because I, I think that there's been plenty of cases and plenty of testimonies that people have taken hydrochloroquine and seen immediate results. Have been. Not not results, immediate results within Absolutely. 24 to 48 hours that yeah. they've seen their symptoms reside. Yeah. So amazingly enough, why would anybody, considering we're in a pandemic, 
Why would anybody? <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. Sar- pardon my sarcasm. No. Why would anybody? Yeah. While we're in a pandemic, who cares about every life? That every life is so critically important and worth saving. You got it. Not want to deploy something that has years of evidence of having worked in malaria patients. Because again, we're not saying we're not saying that there aren't clinical trials in which we've seen hydrochloroquine work. You're saying that you haven't had a clinical study in reference to this particular strain of COVID. But then you're also telling me that we have to take all kinds of other precautions based on your own presumptions, like me staying at home for months at a time, not being able to go out, except you can go to Walmart and touch everything behind and before (laughs) the the person that's walking in in front of you. Correct? So at some point we have to start thinking clearly to say, I'm not, I'm not really buying this expert because he talked about, you know, having to, to be leery about the potential effects, but yet he's not concerned about the potential effects about keeping kids home from school for an entire year. No. Like that doesn't seem to be on his radar, but yet yeah. I'm very much concerned about that because I realize that there are some kids that don't get to live in a home like my children. That's right. So That's right. I, I have a real problem with Dr. Fauci, because I think just like, you know, and I think Rand Paul was somebody who was like, you know, look, I appreciate that, but you're just not the end all be all of everything. You're just not. You're just not. And I would love for somebody to remind him of that, because I think at this stage, he really does believe that he is somebody to be thought of and yeah. regarded. And, and you know, yes, appreciate it. You've 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 helped give some insight into this problem. Mm-hmm. But all on the whole. I don't really need you anymore. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm just being honest. I don't need you out front. I don't need you talking. Yeah. I need you to really just sit, sit back, get behind me, and I'm going to make some decisions. But I guess the question is, you know, like someone once said, you know, and, and, and we're we're giving experts a hard time. But like someone once said that you, if somebody said you you need to go ask the experts what to do, and someone said, well, you would never know. Uh, you would never know what to do. They would never know what to do or the experts, you would never be able to take their advice because experts are always working for somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so at the end of the day, when it comes to Dr. Fauci, uh, the question is always, who is he working for? Right. You know, who's, who's interest. And when I say that, whose interest are he representing? Is he representing the best interest of the American people or is he representing the interest of a of a of the uh, clandestine group of, of very interested uh, elite players, right? And because we we take for granted when somebody stands behind that press desk and they start speaking to us mm-hmm. as though they're speaking to us for us, like everything that comes across there is really in our best interest. Like they are pure as the driven oh, snow. Yeah, like there's not to be <laughs> not to be not to be questioned at all, and uh, and that's the question really for him because he has made a lot of statements, just like you said. They do kind of, they kind of, they kind of rub you wrong because, mm-hmm. like you said, there are many people, and I've so I've heard some very uh, testimonies of some very high-profile people. I know of a particular pastor in New York, very high-profile, talked about taking hydrochloroquine, and almost very quickly yes. begin to have a turnaround. And he was having hallucinations and the fever and the everything, and it began to turn around for him, and he. He spoke about it publicly. Mm-hmm. So, and he wasn't the only one. There's been several. And doctors were prescribing it anyway. Yes. Regardless of it being considered anecdotal evidence. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were like, look, man, we're in a, like you said, a pandemic. 
Shouldn't the pandemic warrant us to respond with something that we feel has such a long history, mm-hmm. right, mm-hmm. Of, of being something we can safely administer? You know, but there seemed to be no interest in any of that. It no, has to it had to be filtered through the genius of Fauci. Everything had to come through, you know, his check and balance. And that's when you know you you have to sit back and question that. You just really do, man. It, 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 there's a lot that you have to question about what went on around here and doing all of this. But. So I just want to put this out here. So there's a Dallas clinician by the name of Dr. Yvette Lozano, and I think we saw her actually on uh, Fox News with Laura Ingram. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few days ago, but um, she's talking about hydrochloroquine and, and the use that she's had. Cause she's had she's been having some problems um, yeah. with drugstores, working with pharmacists. You know, as she's as she's been putting in orders for this hydrochloroquine, all of a sudden now she's getting pushback, and pharmacies are calling her saying, "Well, well, what exactly is the problem?" It's like, "Well, that's not for me to communicate to you. I'm the doctor prescribing the medication. Yeah. I don't sit there and tell you what's going on. That's." That's personal information between me and, and yeah, my patient. patient. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so she, she had said that all of her patients um, that she's given hydrochloroquine to have become asymptomatic within 24 to 48 hours after being treated at her clinic. And, I mean, she's having so much success that people from all over are calling so that they can get an appointment <laughs> and get hydrochloroquine. <laughs> so, so what I'm saying is, here's the deal. You had you had the media who automatically wanted to undermine President Trump presenting a solution. Yeah. Right. Because the only person that we want to get a solution from is Fauci. And we like all of his solutions because all of his solutions play into fear, uncertainty, instability. Well, they just wanted to prove the president inept. And and that's 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 the end end all be all. And and that, too. But there's always a long game. There is the short game. Mm -hmm. And we know that sure. the short game has always been to undermine President Trump ever since he got into office. But the long game is to say, well, we we want to be in good in good standing with the healthcare industry as well, right? Sure. So it works for them, and it's to their advantage to need to find this vaccine. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is political is that all of a sudden I I think unfortunately President Trump is even being caught up in in this because I I think that at the end of the day. He can't count on the American people being smart enough to see through it all. Thank you. Yeah. So you have to kind of play the game. You have to almost dance with them. Because if he doesn't, <coughs> yeah, and and another outbreak happens in November, or December, it's over. It's over. That's over. It's oh, he took no action. He didn't. He didn't even care. After Fauci, after Bill Gates, after all these people came out and said we needed a vaccine. Yeah. So what is he? I mean, he's between a rock and a hard place mm-hmm. only because of the American people's inability. To and sometimes to unwillingness it. and unwilling yes because yeah. it's Trump it's not inability because it's, it's, it's Trump it's an unwillingness that people we're so politicized now so political. that we don't like I said we're walking around here like we either got a blue top screwed on our heads or a red top mm-hmm. and it's like we're not even human anymore we're not individuals anymore we're not even listening uh, for the sake of 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 truth and evidence and what's right and what's wrong, we're listening in blue and red, and we and we're responding in blue and red, and it's really sad because it's undermining truth and evidence, and it's undermining facts, the very things that matter in any discussion yes, and sir. in any analysis of any issue, yes, sir. and uh, and it's it's a really sad thing to see, but hopefully, prayerfully. We can get through this to where people are thinking clear enough to make wise choices and decisions because this is only going to escalate in different ways because we are in an election year, folks. And this is what I want to leave you with as we close. Mm -hmm. We are in an election year. 
So you have not yet begun to see the lunacy (laughs) that you're going to see begin to crop up in the coming months. Mm -hmm. So stay prayerful, stay vigilant, stay diligent and uh, stay on your watch. And uh, here at Culture and Convictions, we plan on doing that very thing. Thank you guys so much for listening to us for yet another podcast. We're Hey, we're here for the long haul. We're going to be talking about this stuff for the rest of 2020. Because we believe it is, it is, uh, it's really our obligation to do it. Those of us who love freedom, those of us who love our country and want to preserve it and keep it strong and make it viable, um, it is in our best interest to do so. We have to stand guard and be willing to take sometimes the unpopular stances. Sometimes take those stances that make people mad at you and, and get upset with you. But hey, that's the political environment we're in. We just have to do it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Pass this on to those who you believe could stand to hear uh, a podcast like this and who like a commentary like this. And we'll see you next time on Culture and Convictions.